everybody. Welcome to episode 10 of The Culture Kid. We've made it through 10 episodes of the show. I'm your host, Seth Farrow. This is the show where we talk about pop culture, world events, as well as topics that affect everybody. There's always something that everybody can relate to on this show. We'll start today's show off with a quick edition of The Who and What, where we'll talk about some pop culture stories from this past week. After that, we have an extended Seth's guest, where the program manager of the Seaway Valley Prevention Council, Bill Doyle, will be joining me to discuss the rise in drug addiction and overdoses and how their organization is helping people struggling with drug addiction get resources to get them back on the right track. One of the topics we've been discussing is helping others. Bill and this organization and the entire health field are helping people every day. And even if you're not in the Messina area, I'm sure you'll be able to relate to some of the information discussed on today's show. You may even be able to help others with what you hear on today's episode. We have a long, candid discussion with Bill today, so you'll definitely want to stay tuned. We'll wrap the show up with Seth Asks. We have a very busy show today, so let's get things started. It's the Who and What. We're going to start the Who and What off with a movie story and a little piece of history that was recently found. Now, I'm sure all of you have seen The Wizard of Oz. It's an iconic movie. Everybody's seen it. And a lot of people, including myself, remember the first time or so that we saw it as children. The Wizard of Oz has made an impact on not just the pop culture world, but to just about everyone who's seen it and continued to watch it for all these years. Now, an iconic prop, more specifically one of the costumes, Judy Garland wore in the movie is now being auctioned off. The story is kind of interesting. You see, Judy actually wore multiple versions of that iconic dress throughout the movie, and they've all been given to others to be auctioned off over the years. This particular dress was given to Father Gilbert Hark, who was the head of the Catholic University of America's drama department back in 1973. An actress named Mercedes McCambridge gave it to him, though it's unknown how she got the dress. Now, for the decades following this, the department had lost track of the costume, and people started to believe that the whole thing was a myth. However, the story about the dress turned out to be true, as someone was clearing out the closet clutter in the school last year, and they found a shoebox. And in that shoebox was the iconic dress. The dress is now about to be auctioned off. The university says the proceeds from the auction are going to be used to create a full-fledged film program in the drama department. Now, if you're wondering which part of the movie this dress was worn in, it's been researched and determined that this costume was worn during the scene where Dorothy is confronted by the Wicked Witch of the West in a castle. Very interesting story and a very neat find for sure. Now here's a quick television story. If you're a fan of the channel Bravo and you like their reality shows like the Real Housewives franchise and Project Runway, then the following event is the place for you. BravoCon is making its return this October in New York City. It had been postponed for the past two years due to COVID, but BravoCon is coming back this year. According to the network's press release, the event will consist of interactive experiences, live performances, and juicy details and stories spilled by the Bravo stars themselves. It's happening October 14th through the 16th, and if you go to the website, bravocon2022.com, when you keep scrolling, it basically says to keep checking back soon as they're busy making it nice. It's been suggested that you'll definitely want to check back often for programming and ticket news as the tickets for the 2019 BravoCon had sold out in less than a minute. So keep checking the website all the time if BravoCon is the destination for you. And that's a wrap for the who and what. 
Now it's time for Seth's Guest. Well, drug addiction is on the rise here in America with opioid and prescription drug overdoses, among others, dramatically increasing within the last couple of years. The need for help is also increasing. You may wonder where, especially in this area, can people find the help they need to overcome their addiction. I have one of those people here with me right now. Joining me on the program is Program Manager of Seaweed Valley Prevention Council, Bill Doyle. How are you today? I'm well. How are you, Seth? I am doing very well. Doing very well. So the first question I wanted to know is, how long has the Seaweed Valley Prevention Council been around for? Um, When and how did it start? So Seaway Valley Prevention Council started way back in 1987, um, and it was brought about to provide prevention, evidence-based education to youth within the school systems. Uh, So we had uh, health educators uh, that would go into the schools and teach evidence-based practice, evidence-based programming to the youth of St. Lawrence County, uh, you know, programs that, you know, nowadays are, are, are known as uh, too good for drugs, too good for violence, um, too good for drinking. Uh, and so they, they just, they provide the youth with the knowledge and, and basically the options, right? It's, you know, helping them to, to provide, uh, to, to make their own educated decisions on things. That's a very good mission, definitely, for sure, because, you know, like I said, drug over, drug overdoses are really rising, especially within the last couple of years. Um, what are some of the programs that you offer? Um, we offer a wide variety of programs. So I guess probably the, the best thing to do is put the mental picture of the office in my head and kind of go around. Um, we have recovery-based programs such as um, a family support navigator um, and what that you know, person does what Alex does is she works with the family of the person of the, the family that's been impacted by the, the individual's substance use disorder or, or uh, alcohol use disorder. Um, we have a peer engagement specialist. Um, so those two positions cover a tri county area. So they actually cover Jefferson Lewis and St. Lawrence counties. Um, and what uh, what Samantha does within that that peer engagement position is. Um, works with individuals out in the community, right? So it's, it's, it's a very mobile position. So she's constantly on the go, providing all sorts of services from, you know, peer support um, to harm reduction to potentially linkages to treatment. Uh, we also have a, a position under our, our recovery umbrella that's uh, the North Country Addictions Resource Center. Um, and what that does is it covers the northern economic zone within New York State, which is everything from Watertown all the way over to Plattsburgh, basically that whole northern section. It's seven counties. And that position is basically a, the, I look at it like the center hub on a wheel, right? So it's, it's, they have access to all these different resources throughout the area. So if somebody calls and says, hey, my son is looking for treatment in the Plattsburgh area. You know, we, we can help link that individual to those, those services there. Um, we, then we offer a lot of parenting programming. Um, so, you know, somebody gets into uh, an unfortunate situation where maybe Child Protective Services has had to step in and, and, you know, remove the kids or threaten to remove the children from the home. Um, we have parenting educators that help to teach the skill sets for that parent. Um, 
to potentially move back in the direction of having the children stable in their home again. Um, <clears throat> we still go into schools. <clears throat> excuse me. We still go into schools and do um, the evidence-based practices with the kids. Um, so we have after-school programs at uh, a handful of um, districts in St. Lawrence County. And then we also do a, a, a pretty extensive summer program at some of these districts as well. Uh, we also have advancing tobacco-free communities, which um, that and reality check, what they do is they help to educate the youth on the not just the dangers of, of tobacco and also vaping, but the, um, the, the marketing campaigns and how, I mean, even from way back when, you know, Joe Camel was, was actually marketing youth, not so much adults, right? It was a cartoon character. Right. Um, so, it, you know, it educates the kids on that. It also, um, we have some, some, uh, gambling awareness programs that we offer for, um, you know, parents to basic parents, grandparents, guardians to sign a pledge saying, you know, they won't put scratch off tickets in their, their, their kids stockings, right? Because, studies have shown that it triggers the same chemicals in the brain as a stimulant like cocaine does. Right. So it gets everything kind of rare and, 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 you know, a nine-year-old wins on a scratch off and, and that's, you know, studies have shown that that could potentially be dangerous for that child. Um, we have a drop-in recovery community and outreach center here in Ogdensburg, which is what I'm affiliated with. And it's the Valley recovery center. Um, it's a drop-in location for somebody who's potentially struggling with substance use disorder or alcohol, uh, maybe gambling, maybe, you know, any type of uh, addiction that they might be struggling with. Um, it's not treatment. So I just say, put that out there for everybody. It is not a treatment organization. We provide recovery support services. So, you know, things like, um, you know, balancing your checkbook, right? Things like, uh, you know, how to, how do you shop? For your family and you only have this amount of money so you know different programs like that uh some some art-based programs some music-based programs um you know really whatever the community is in need of at that time we try to provide that for recovery services um help people find jobs help people find uh, places to live maybe link somebody to treatment if that's what they're looking for um we also then we have a couple of programs in messina we have the messina community messina drug-free communities coalition so Jason Novak um, is the program coordinator in Messina. Um, and that is also ties in a lot with the youth um, and, you know, going into schools and providing healthy recreational activities, you know, outside of, outside of school. So, you know, Jason took some of the kids uh, tubing up at Titus this year. Uh, you know, they've gone kayaking in the past. We do outdoor movie nights. Um, Spring Fest, which is coming up uh, a week from Saturday at the community center in Messina. Um, Easter egg hunts. Uh, it's all free. Cotton candy, popcorns, you know, snow cones. Um, lots of fun stuff going on there. And then uh, last but certainly not least is our youth clubhouse in Messina. Uh, Horizons Youth Clubhouse, uh, which is ages 12 to 17 and what horizons is is um it's a safe place for youth to go after school especially between the hours of 2 30 and 6 6 30 which is prime time for youth or adolescents to you know do things maybe that aren't the most healthy for them right um so it gives them a safe place to go there's you know snacks and we cook meals with the kids and um there's internet we can help with homework um you know some of the youth I mean, I'm dating myself, but some, you know, some of the youth, when they first started going there, I now recognize them as, you know, you know, a, a server at a restaurant or, you know, you know, home from college and they're, they're, they're ringing me out at Price Chopper. And, you know, so it's, um it's fun to see the, the connection still, 
right, in the community right. and see how it's helped maybe that youth um, go, go down a path that might be healthier for them. Yeah, and it means that you're a role model to them. That's one thing that I enjoy as well, like being a good, healthy role model for them for people who may not have a healthy role model in their life. It's great that your organization provides that. And I wanted to know, I know Messina is the place for Horizons. Why was Messina chosen to be the main center? And are there going to be plans for any other Horizon centers in different parts of the area? So, um, like I said, Horizons being the youth clubhouse, There's there are... There's quite a few clubhouses around the state of New York that are all funded by Oasis, which is a a New York state program. Um, And Horizons was chosen back in 2016, 2017, based solely on demographics, right? So, you know, when you, we look at data of, you know, opiate overdoses, um, you know, 911 response calls, whether it be, you know, an overdose or, you know, somebody actively using somewhere. Messina had the highest number um, of, of those calls and those overdoses at the time. Um, now, that's that's definitely changed since um, it's 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 more evenly spaced out around St. Lawrence County now, um, you know, and, and, and that changes anywhere over time. Right. You see you see ups and downs and things like that. But that's why Messina was chosen, because that's the community that we felt the youth needed a place like that the most. So, and it's perfectly, it's in a perfect location. It's in downtown. Um, there's the the transit buses that go right by there every day. It's centrally located for the youth. Um, and actually some of the school buses, you know, leaving from the middle school and the high school will actually drop the youth off there if that's where they want to go after school. And it makes it a lot more convenient that way for the kids. So that way they don't always have to rely on their parents to basically drop them off. They can, they have the bus right there. It's really convenient. Um, and I was, was one of the things I was going to ask you about. Um, I know COVID, you know, it's been around. It's that unlucky virus we all have. Do you think that's affected um, drug use in any way or drug addiction? Well, sure. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, a philosophy that, you know, the opposite of addiction is connection. Right. And so when you are forced to isolate yourself, um, a lot of times those those support networks and those systems that you have in place um, are more more difficult to attain. Um, so, you know, a lot of times we as humans, we revert back to unhealthy behaviors in order to help cope with those things. Uh, so we, we, we definitely have seen an increase. Um, but I, I personally believe, too, that it is. Um, it's taught us to be more resilient and stronger at the same time um, because we do have these resources available, right? We do have, um, you know, the telepractice and then the connection in that way. You know, if somebody chooses to go to a support group meeting, whether it be smart recovery, celebrate recovery, narcotics anonymous, alcoholics anonymous, they can find a meeting online 24 hours a day. Right. Um, it took some getting used to for a lot of folks because we're, you know, we're pack creatures. As humans, we love to be around other humans for the most part. Um, and we, uh, you know, we, we, we it, it took a little bit of adjustment, right, to uh, to slide over into that virtual world. But living in a county that's twenty eight hundred plus square miles, you know, in, in in area, it did make it easy for us to connect with individuals with the, you know, the Zoom and the Google Meets and the. Um, you know, the WebEx and all the other different programs out there that, that are that are available. Um, but it, I, I do believe that it definitely has. But uh, 
you know, I think there's a lot of variables to that too. I mean, um, you know, there's there, there's there's a, a, a larger distribution of things, unfortunately. Um, more and more people are making things in their basement or in their, their garage, and, you know, they don't know what they're doing, right? And they're putting just crazy stuff in them, and, and, and they're distributing it because maybe times are tough for them, and they're, they're trying to, you know, feed their family. Or And I don't want to make excuses, but, um, you know, and, and a lot of times when you see the economy dip and then you see people lose their jobs, you know, there's a couple of things that never really go away. Right. And that's, you know, gambling, people still gamble because that's their escape. Um, and then, you know, tobacco and, and, and alcohol use as well. So, and obviously now drug use. So um, I think there, this, that question has so many different layers to unpeel. We definitely don't have time for that right now, but that kind of gives you a bit of a, a summary, if you will, of, of, of my personal opinion on, on how COVID has affected you know, substance use disorder. Yeah. And my mother, for example, she's a drug and alcohol counselor. She works at chemical dependency. She's seen an increase. And, you know, especially since COVID's around and a lot of the people clients that you see throughout the time was through telehealth. Um, but she even said that, yeah, she's been seeing a lot of cases where people are really, they're falling on tough times. And unfortunately, you know, they kind of, that's their one coping mechanism because it sounds it's really all they know. You know, it's really sad to see people go through that. I can't even imagine the struggle that people go through. Um, and I imagine you also work with other agencies in St. Lawrence County. Is that correct? Oh, we work with any and all agencies that we can. Um, you know, we're continuously trying to establish new partnerships. Um, you know, there's that the saying that it, it takes a village, right, to, to raise someone, it, it definitely takes a village. It takes a whole community to help someone heal from, you know, a, a you know, a, a substance use disorder um, without a doubt. And, you know, whether it's, you know, a housing agency, whether it's, an, you know, food pantries, whether it's, um, you know, government run or, 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 you know, local county run, um, you know, we have a great relationship with all of the outpatient providers within our area. Um, and, you know, have MOUs and, you know, or memorandums of understanding with a lot of them. And, and we work hand in hand on a daily basis with a lot of the folks we serve because I don't know everything. And the person over at this agency doesn't know everything. So, but if we put our heads together, we know a lot more than we did when we're apart. So collaboration is huge in this industry. Absolutely. And that was actually something I was discussing um, on the last episode with Nicholas White of the Salvation Army. We were talking about how, you know, it's really amazing the work we can do when we work as a team together, when we work as a community and, you know, we really get things because we can get things done that way. And plus we're doing it together. It's not as competitive. So, you know, you're working together and I think it makes for a great result. Definitely. Yeah, the, 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 mo the moment we start competing for, for business in this field that, that I'm in, we have failed, right? And, and the, moment, the moment you see that happening, that to me or the position I'm in now throws up a flag for me. And, and, you know, yeah. I would have a really hard time sending somebody to that organization because of that. Right. Like we're in this, we're in this nonprofit, we're in this, um, you know, uh, local serving of the community work, you know, to help the community, not to, you know, make a dollar. Right. Yeah. I have to put, you have to really have your heart in the right place. And, you know, it, sh and it shouldn't be, especially when you're dealing with people, you know, who are going through a really tough time in their lives. It shouldn't be competitive. You know, you know, you should really be focusing and you guys do that. 
we're all focusing as a community on how we can get people better. And the more people we can get to help people become better and, you know, help treat their addiction, that's, that's really wonderful. And I think that's where your organization really comes in and helps with that. So it's really nice what people can do as a team. Now, St. Lawrence County also provides Narcan treatment. Can you tell me a little bit about Narcan and what that is, the training and whatnot? Sure. Yep. So Narcan is the name brand of naloxone. And what naloxone does, and its sole purpose is to reverse the effects of an opiate overdose. Um, so, it, it, you know, opioids attach to the, the receptors in the brain that are responsible for us breathing. And what happens when, somebody, when you inject uh, Narcan or naloxone to someone, um, it shakes up those, those, uh, those receptors on the brain. It agitates them and it pushes the opioids off and then it blocks the receptor, it basically attaches to the receptor so that the opioids can't come back on and, and, and you know, cause another overdose. Um, now, it doesn't last forever. It only lasts between 30 and 90 minutes. Um, sometimes it takes multiple doses depending on the level of opiates that somebody took. Um, but Narcan training takes anywhere between five minutes and, I don't know, 45 minutes, depending on the level of uh, comprehension the person that we're training. Um, is at with understanding. Um, and, you know, there's no age requirement to be trained in Narcan. Um, you know, we've trained, you know, children under the age of 10 before because, you know, there's drugs in the home and, and you know, somebody wanted that child to be safe and be able to potentially keep, you know, whoever else was in that house safe. Um, as long as that child and, you know, the trainer can, can, can see that the child comprehends what's going on and how to use it. Um, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit longer to explain things to somebody um, who might not be there yet, you know, uh, um, with, with, with truly understanding what it's for. It cannot hurt anyone. And the only purpose, like I said, is to reverse the effects of an opiate overdose. So it doesn't interfere with any other medications. It doesn't interfere with cholesterol medication, blood pressure, heart pills, um, insulin, nothing, right? It's, it's just to reverse the effects of an opiate overdose. And if there's no opiates in the person's system, it doesn't do anything, right? It just, no, no. I mean, it's, and training can happen here in our office. We do on-demand training here. Um, it's also offered at all of the St. Lawrence County um, addiction treatment uh, clinics in the county. So you have um, Ogdensburg, Messina, Governor, and Canton. You can stop in any one of those four locations and be trained. Um, but, you know, the, the the, easy, the easiest way to do it is to pick up the phone and give us a call. Um, go on our Facebook page, um, any one of our Facebook pages, and, um, you know, just ask to be trained or stop into our office, you know, Monday through Friday. Train somebody. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Bill. I appreciate it. Yep, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Seth. Take care. It's time for Seth Asks. And today I have a question for you related to talking. You'll hear why in a minute. Now I work at a radio station. I'm a radio personality and I work with a team of people and I interact with fans. Plus I do my podcasts. So with all those things combined, I give a lot of advice. I've been giving advice since I was a little kid, long before I did it professionally. I've always liked to think of myself as a very honest and open person. You can often tell how I'm feeling based off my facial expressions and my body movements. People can tell if I'm happy, nervous, any sort of feeling, really. Now, as much as I like to give my opinion about things and still be polite about it and not be a jerk, and to be open about whatever I'm anxious, frustrated, or even happy about, 
sometimes it can wear people out. Of course, I'm not trying to wear people out or frustrate them, but sometimes it happens. Now, I've been working on it, and I often make strides, dialing it back a bit, and wording things better, but with the condition I have and the way my brain works, it could be challenging. However, there's always room for improvement, and I always take stride in being a people person and trying to do my best to be a good person, so any improvement is good improvement. Now, of course, there's always a type of advice that's good advice. The kind of advice that can be vital to hear. The kind that can help you live your life. The kind that you want and need to hear. Plus, advice is a great way to help people. A theme within the past couple of episodes. Now, this is where I turn to you. Now, last week I asked you how you like to help others. Here's what you had to say. Renee says she likes helping people through her job and just being a nice person. That's a great way of helping people, just by being a good person. This week, I want to ask you, what is your favorite piece of advice? What is the best advice you can give someone? The best piece of advice you've received? Let me know on our Facebook page, The Culture Kid. We post links to the episodes there, as well as clips from the show and other exclusive content. And plus, we interact with you on there. So go check us out on Facebook, The Culture Kid. That's a wrap for today's show. I'm Seth Farrow. Have a great day.